0: Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to this Thursday, September 16th, 2021 edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, managing editor of USA Today's Dolphins, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan. And we get a crossover Thursday edition here on uh, Bill's hate week on Locked on Dolphins. And we are joined by our dear friend, uh, Joe Marino, not necessarily our dear friend on this programming, but Joe is a very close personal friend of mine. We met through the football industry. We were each other's best men at our weddings. And we're going to try to remember all those positive memories when gearing ourselves up to talk about dolphins versus bills. Uh, the conversation that was had today is absolutely phenomenal. I just got off recording, uh, the meat and potatoes of this conversation with Joe and I am elated to bring this conversation to you, uh, because I think Joe and I both really ask uh, some interesting questions about the other side of the fence. Uh, but before we get there, uh, have had a chance to continue to comb through uh, some of the plays from the Miami Dolphins on all 22 uh, from Sunday's victory, 17, 16 over the new England Patriots. And, uh, one of the things that I was asked to do for the draftnetwork.com was kind of piece together. Like what's, what's it going to look like with Will Fuller into the mix? And it's an interesting question, right? So, uh, As I'm looking at these plays that the Dolphins are implementing, kind of the light bulb goes on, and it was the first touchdown play that they scored, and it was kind of, uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah, I've seen this before. And it's not from when George Godsey was on staff, but it was with one of George Godsey's former teams, and it was the former team that he used to call plays for for 19 games in 2015-2016 slash the Houston Texans. So, Gotze was there in 15 and 16 as play caller, And then he left at the end of the year. O'Brien took play calling duties back after three games. And the offense still stunk. So, it wasn't Gotze's fault. It was just Bill O'Brien and you get a bad quarterback, right? Well, they end up drafting Deshaun Watson. And when the Deshaun Watson rumors were quite prevalent in the offseason, start poking around, you know, just in case you do your research. And this was before all the rumors of all of the, the horrible things that Deshaun Watson's been accused of uh, off the field. So this was right around in January and February. And Watson did a sit-down interview with uh, Kurt Warner and Brian Baldinger for NFL Game Pass, a film room session that was about 22 minutes long. It was on YouTube. It was phenomenal. It was really, if you like X's and O's, those film studies, they got a bunch of different players uh, guys like Devontae Adams, uh, obviously the one with Deshaun Watson, which we're we're talking about here. But the first bit of that conversation, the first six to seven minutes of that conversation is dedicated to the Houston Texans under Bill O'Brien, who, remember, George Gotzey called plays for just before Deshaun Watson got there, their – Read option and zone read and RPO and inside zone and naked. That whole package of like backfield mesh point with layers and route taggings and a lot of the RPO stuff that, you know, is quite prevalent across the league. But one of the plays that was diagrammed, it came against the New England Patriots and it was at a full house backfield, which is equivalent to. To the double wing pistol formation, the Dolphins ran on their first touchdown of the game against the Patriots in 2021, except the two wingbacks, instead of being lined up one and one outside of the offensive tackles, they're flanking the quarterback on either side, right? So you got three players in the backfield plus the quarterback, and it's this kind of split flow action. And lo and behold, I'll be damned, the route combination was exactly the same it was the exact same play oh as far as having a zone read concept where you're reading the defensive end and he's going to dictate whether or not you give the ball and the first man out is carrying vertical and whoever the outside is receiver he's running the slant route to carry the perimeter player and that second player kind of runs a that slice or split flow underneath and runs out into the flat. And it's kind of this beautiful spread of routes with an in-breaking route, kind of an out and wheel, and then a flat underneath of it. And you've got a, a read in the backfield at the best point to give the ball, which to a red, the defensive end, stayed fairly square and started to squeeze. So that's your pull read. And then he could have either shoveled that ball to Durham Smythe as the flat route, or he did what he did, which he walked it in. So that was kind of like an aha moment. It's their first big breadcrumb as far as like conceptually on film, what the Dolphins, how they're building out some of their RPO stuff. And it's it's from Godsey's affiliation with Bill O'Brien during the time that they shared. It's kind of he's off the same coaching tree, so it makes sense that uh, they would want to tap into some of that because what the Texans did with Watson with read option and zone read and, and RPOs is very difficult to stop because there's layers and if you think back to what we talked about before the game on Sunday, I think it was the Thursday episode, said so you can't just run the basic RPOs. You gotta have layers to it. And the fact that they're running effectively a wheel with a slant and a flat all to one side as an RPO concept. And you saw plenty of RPO concepts. There was not just the inside zone, they ran some some wide zone or outside zone flow, uh, and they're keying inside linebackers stacked in the, in an interior gap to see if he's going to vacate or fly out or not. This thing got a little bit more exotic, and it's kind of exciting to see how that's going to grow and evolve. And obviously, I went on to write this article about what Will Fuller brings to the Dolphins' offense and how if they're going to be um, carrying concepts from Godsey's affiliation with Bill O'Brien into this Dolphins offense, you know, there, there's a lot of really effective play that we've seen with Will Fuller and whether it was Kenny Stills or somebody else that um, you, know, you can place Jalen Waddle into that role and potentially be even more explosive. So and I'm not saying that Tua Tagovailoa is going to play to the caliber of what Deshaun Watson has in the past this year, but just kind of seeing a one for one and putting the two slides up next to each other and watching the plays unfold. It's like, damn, that's the exact same concept. It was pretty cool. And it's a nice revelation because that's a a big question for us is, you know, what is from a, a play caller's perspective and co-offensive coordinators, how is this going to work? And so on and so forth. Well, God, see his affiliation with Bill O'Brien kind of, coming out of that system, and he went to Detroit for two years before he ended up in Miami as a tight ends coach, uh, that's the pipeline. And you're seeing some of those things that were very effective in Houston now being applied here in Miami as the Dolphins try to assemble an offensive system that optimizes the things that Tua Tagovailoa does well. And there's nothing he does better than making quick decisions in the mesh point and dispersing the football rockauto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high quality service online for the last 20 years so whether you've been shopping for engine control modules or brake parts or taillights or motor oil or even new carpet for your classic or daily driver rockauto.com has everything you need in one easy to navigate catalog and in just a few clicks you can get everything delivered directly to your front door best of all price of the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers So why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com for all of your auto parts needs and make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all of the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. We are going to... Shift gears now, and we're going to get directly into this crossover Thursday, which is going to make today's episode a mega episode because this conversation was lengthy, but it is a good one and it is one well worth your time. So without further ado, we're going to turn things over to uh, the recording that I just finished before I sat down to to get you guys started for today on today's episode uh, with myself, yours truly and Joe Marino of Locked on Bills.
0: Joe Marino of Locked on Bills, joined now by Kyle Krabs, the host of the Locked on Dolphins podcast. You may have heard him on the Draft Dudes podcast. You may have seen his work on the draftnetwork.com. Perhaps Dolphins Wire. This guy's all over the place. Kyle, it's, it's great to, to finally get a chance to talk football with you.
1: Yeah, we, we never do this, so this will be fun. Um, this, this is probably my least favorite topic for us to spend time talking about because of the nature of the conversations we're having and the nature of the recent history between these two teams. But, uh, nevertheless, uh, rubbing elbows with you is, is always a treat considering I sign myself up to do it daily with you next to you <laughs> at the draft network.com and draft dudes. So yes, um, really looking forward to this conversation, uh, because we, obviously know these teams so well, and, uh, there's some new variables at play, uh, here. I think that, that make this a really compelling conversation.
0: Can I just say off the bat that I come in peace? You know, I know that I know the theme on Locked on Dolphins this week. I'm aware,
1: Kyle. Correct. I wasn't gonna say it because I know this is going on Locked
0: on right. Pulse's Airwaves. So they can they can tune in and figure it out. But, but I, please, please go listen to Locked On Dolphins <laughs> and find out what we're talking about here. I would like to say, fins up nation, Kyle Krabs, I come in peace. And so with with that out of okay. the way, Great. let's uh let's start with Tua. I gotta get your assessment of Tua, all the preseason hype. Plenty of people pushing back, right? A lot of doubters on Tua. We've seen Mm -hmm. one game. I know that you spent some time at camp this year. You've been dialing into everything going on with the Dolphins. Your assessment of where Tua's at in his development.
1: I I think the most important thing to note is um, there was a very cognitive change in the philosophy of what the offense is. And, and, you know, Changaley. Last year, you know, obviously the expectation Bills fans know all about Shane Gailey and, and Ryan Fitzpatrick and the pairing of the two and what that looks like. And uh, in hindsight, Tua Tagovailoa was probably something of a square peg and a round hole in that instance. And they they tried to cater with the RPOs, but it was very vanilla. Uh, what we saw the Dolphins come out with in just Week One against New England was a lot more of the modern principles. It wasn't your traditional 11 personnel. And sometimes it was like pulling teeth, getting 12 personnel on the field for the Dolphins last year. And they're out here running double wing pistol formation and running a read option with a, a package of routes on the play side to it. And effectively it's uh, Tim Jenkins referred to it as the, the modern day triple option where you've got a zone read, a keep option, and route combination packaged on top of it. And knowing how well Tua Valoa has performed going all the way back to Alabama with the ball handling dynamics of his play and making those quick decisions in the mesh point and the release time that he has and the accuracy and the footwork that he has, you're definitely seeing a, a... better positioned version of Tua to have success based on what he's done successfully historically. Um, I think physically he's in a better place. Uh, You definitely do see more velocity on the ball. He's not Justin Herbert or Josh Allen where, you know, he can be jumping off his back foot and come to the backside and hit the dig, right? Like Josh did against the Steelers in week one and a route that was 15 plus yards downfield and he puts it on a rope like Tua doesn't have that kind of arm strength and he never will but that's what makes i think the offense infrastructure so important in that you're building in multiple layers and reads if you want to work predominantly in a lot of the zone read uh splits uh split flow inside zone and then package rpos off of of the top of that And i saw more, more variety in the rpos In week one against New England, I saw the entirety of the year last year with Chan Gailey. So uh, I think the offense, and Tua specifically, were in a better place. He obviously made one really bad decision. That was a turnover with four minutes left in the football game against New England. Ended up being an interception. uh, And he had one other really bad throw uh, under duress in which he got flushed out of the pocket that could have been intercepted. So uh, we saw that in the preseason game against the Bears, negative plays. Uh, had the he was really really good and then he had the interception down in the red zone. That's going to be for the key for Tua is eliminating those handful of negative plays that you just kind of cringe and you're like, mm, man, you should know better than to even try that.
0: All right, so I'm already going to ask you an off script question Great. because yeah, it's a
1: good <laughs> thing. We didn't send each other questions. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Terrific. What do so you got? You,
0: you said you started talking about the packages and what the offense is looking like under Tua. And it, it sounds really good. And it sounds like it plays into a key metric, a key split that exists with Tua. And that's when the ball comes out in under two and a half seconds. It's really, really good. Passer rating of 101.83. When he holds on to it for over two and a half for his career, That goes down to 61.94. It sounds like they're catering the offense to give Tua that ability to make quick decisions, which we know he does very well, and he's very accurate with those quick decisions. How does Miami maintain this, right? Like, how do they avoid putting him in situations where he has to exhaust progressions? Like, it's got to be part of what they do. Like, how do you see that kind of marrying together? Yeah, uh,
1: I'll be interested to see how much of you know what they do from here, whether it's pick a side progression or anything like that, or if they're going to do true, true pure progressions and, and work your way all the way across the field. But I think um, one thing that, that they're going to have to do um, is they're going to have to find continued ways to get free releases and clean releases off the line of scrimmage. And you saw a lot of motion, much more motion from the offense than you saw last year to kind of, build some natural leverage into some of those routes and um i'll be really interested to see what the addition of will fuller who did not play against uh, the patriots in week one what that brings as far as some of the vertical passing dynamics i do think the offensive line held up fairly well against one of the more complex uh, pass rush challenges that any team in the nfl is going to face with belichick and and how the game, the two and three man games that they play up front and Dolphins fans know that really well, because it's the same style of defense that, that they play and the, the chaos that they create. So, uh, I will also say he has some autonomy at the line of scrimmage now, which he did not have last year to identify free access and take free throws as they're available to you. Uh, he, he said in his press conference on Wednesday, he took one play, uh, in that final three and a half minute possession that they used to kill the clock against New England, and they checked out of a run play on on first and long. Uh, I think it was like first and fourteen or something like that. They had a penalty or something like that that had them backed up, and he took a, a free access slant to Devontae Parker, who ended up getting a first down and kind of resetting the chains and putting pressure on New England to start using their timeouts. So, uh, I, I think control at the line of scrimmage is going to be a really big piece of how they help continue catering to uh to not have to be a three three and a and a quarter second drop back passer on any given play
0: all right so you mentioned will fuller big time free agent acquisition he makes his dolphins debut this week they drafted Jalen waddle who i think is just an unbelievable talent with his playmaking ability uh my wide receiver one i know your wide receiver one from this past year's draft. So notable speed now at wide receiver in Waddle in Fuller, Albert Wilson's back and healthy. You've got these power forwards in Devonte Barker and Mike is And so this blend of speed and power in the, in the dolphins passing game, it presents a lot of challenges. And so mm-hmm. new offensive coordinator, how do you see all this fitting together now that Fuller's in the mix and, you know, how do they get him involved and how do they get everyone involved? Like what's, What's this script that you're anticipating offensively for Miami this week?
1: I I think it's going to be varied week to week, uh, to be completely honest with you. I mean, week one, they came out, they ran almost even amount of splits between 11 and 12 personnel, but Mike Gasecki played like 23 snaps or something like that. He was targeted twice, and that was it. didn't catch a football. He caught one, but it was negated by a penalty for an illegal man downfield. So Gasecki did not catch a football against New England, and a lot of that was because they wanted the extra body to have six and seven man blocking surfaces and pass protection and, and kind of help protect against New England, who in turn uh, quite often drop seven to try and flood and force Tua to hold on to the ball because his progression, they, they were trying to take away that first progression from him and force him to hold the ball. So I think against Buffalo, they're probably just going to try to identify where they think is the best place for them. And I know Gasecki's had a lot of success against the bills specifically with some of the catches that he's made. Um, How do they best feel they can manipulate the coverage tendencies of Sean McDermott's defense. Uh, And I think you'll probably see some more speed um, on the field than what you had against new England. Uh, Miami's offensive line performed admirably. I would not advocate them going empty a bunch, but, you know, if you want to have six man and, and have the running back be involved in your pass protection and uh, try and attack some of those zone soft spots in zone or, or manipulate a, a high post player and pull him out of a spot, or, you know, I think if you put waddle and fuller on opposite sides of the field, uh, and especially if you're in condensed splits, I think what that is going to force a lot of teams to do, not exclusively to the Bills, but going to respect the vertical ability a little bit more, which has been a big challenge for Miami is getting that extra hat out of the box uh, to get numbers counts in your advantage in the run game. So I think you'll probably see Fuller and Waddle spending a lot of time on opposite sides so that you're kind of prompting that, ceiling of the defense to lift and then an extension, the second level lifts and creates a little bit more room. So um, would not be surprised if they try and run the ball a little bit more than they did against new England as well. I, I you know they, they had trouble winning the point of attack with consistency, but they average 3.9 yards per carry. If you take out the three kneel downs that they have at the end of the game, I think they'll probably feel better about the size advantage that they have going against the bills up front versus the more heavy hitter and density players that new England offers inside
0: yeah Miami obviously prioritizing that size dynamic on the offensive line of the bills I think they have a small defensive line even though with Starla Tulalay hopefully back this week there's a know big body added to the mix but even with him he's not like a 350 pound nose i mean he's like 305 pounds right so it's going to be a size advantage for sure for miami and and that's something that the bills have embraced you know kind of having smaller longer quicker defensive linemen uh let's talk a little bit about the dolphins defensive game plan for sunday against the bills you just saw pittsburgh i mean just put together an absolute masterpiece of a plan against buffalo obviously uh, with you know Cam Hayward and T.J. Watt and Melvin Ingram and Alex Highsmith really being able to win up front, and they flooded all the coverage zones on the back end, and there just wasn't a lot of space for Josh Allen to fit the football. So you see that happen, and then you take into account the success that Josh Allen's had against the Miami Dolphins. I'm sure everyone aware uh, listening to this podcast is aware of that success. So you put all that together, you know that the Bills are going to have three receivers on the field at least on nearly every offensive snap a lot of four and five wide receiver sets what's this defensive game plan on Sunday
1: yeah I think what's really interesting is you saw some glimpses of some big nickel type looks from Miami uh, in which they had Holland Javon Holland this year's second round pick uh, Jason McCourty who's the starting free safety at this point in time and Eric Rowe on the field all at the same time and you had McCourty and Holland or excuse me uh, McCourty and Rowe down low in the box to get involved in some press man and picking guys up quickly and uh, I think you know if Buffalo wants to run 10 personnel and and go empty at times, having safeties with the man-to-man coverage experience that these guys have, but simultaneously you're not compromising your you're somewhat compromised versus base defense but you know those guys are going to fit the run better than a corner, right as, as safeties so, I would not be surprised to see them tap into that. Uh, Pittsburgh obviously led the NFL in usage and dime in week one because of just how often the bills were spreading the field. That's what Miami's really invested a lot into. You know, they, they obviously bring in Jalen Phillips and they bring in Adam Butler as a pass rush interior specialist from the New England Patriots this offseason. Uh, so those two guys, uh, I think, are going to have a lot of pressure on them to try and if the dolphins are going to replicate some of that game plan. And I think they'd be foolish to, I think they blitz 54, 53% of the time against the Patriots with a rookie quarterback. I think you'd be foolish to try to do the same thing again, Josh Allen. Uh, I just don't think uh, you're going to have success constantly putting guys in one-on-one situations against Josh with how successful Josh has been against the dolphins. And maybe they come out and they surprise me with a really aggressive game plan. Um, but I would like to think they'll they'll probably blitz more than Pittsburgh did. But I would expect them to have five and six DBs on the field, a ton, including those three safeties simultaneously, so they can match personnel the way that they want them to, uh, with the guys who have coverage and man to man experience at the corner position, uh, and just kind of changing changing the picture, you know, constantly. Don't don't have play McCourty in the high post and then put Holland in the high post and kind of play those games. And they, they did a lot of the rocker safety and changed the picture pre-snap to post-snap against Mac Jones. And uh, they're going to have to try to do the same thing. I don't think they're going to completely abandon the blitz. You know, it'll probably be a down and distance specific type thing, but I, I would expect them to try to throw from a look perspective and, and angles of who is, is dropping to what areas of the field and not being able to pick up on numbers and, being really multiple with who can do what back there. I think that's probably the approach that the Dolphins are going to try to take to keep Josh on his toes and force him to make really accurate reads without being able to key on an individual personnel alignment.
0: We're back in better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back to start another football season. As always bet online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season with a new updated site and interface Even more odds, props, and contests, betonline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. And don't forget to use promo code NFL100. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait and take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. And they are your online sports book experts.
1: Back here on this crossover Thursday episode, Kyle Crab's Locked On Dolphins, Joe Marino of Locked On Bills. We are the two best friends. Uh, who hate each other this week, unfortunately.
0: Mm, that's just you, man. That's just you. It's all well, love you here. Know,
1: you know, you'd lose five in a row, you'd hate the other guy, too. Mm, Let me be honest you know, with
0: you. I'll, hopefully, I'll never find out what that's well, like. well, <laughs> So <laughs> piss off. Anyway,
1: uh, so as we shift this conversation to the Bills, right? Uh, obviously, one of the, the big surprise outcomes of week one was not necessarily that Buffalo lost to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's a quality. Uh, quality team and has a really high level defense, but it was uh, the lack of offensive production for the bills that I think was the most surprising. So uh, Joe, as you've kind of let the dust settle on week one and you review the bills, their offensive approach in that game, the performance of the performances of the players on the field. uh, What was the biggest catalyst in your mind for that 16-point performance, and what is your concern level that this is an issue that you may see manifest itself in more than just one week against one of the better
0: defenses in the league? That's a good question. Um, I'll say this about the matchup with Pittsburgh. And as you had time to, like you said, let the dust settle and think about what happened. In a lot of ways, it mirrored the game that the Bills played last year against Pittsburgh. I think it was like week 14 or 13, kind of later. It's a primetime game. It was a primetime game Mm -hmm. later in the season. And the Bills had a very similar offensive output against Pittsburgh. I mean, Josh Allen, statistically, I might tell you he was worse last year against Pittsburgh than he was in week one this year. I think the timing is what has people in their emotions about this, right, where that came kind of in the middle of the bills being hot and Josh Allen, in this MVP caliber season. And then you enter, you know, so you can forget about it. You're like, okay, we got a sample size of great play. You're, you're, you're optimistic about where the bills are going. They won the game, right? They, they got the defensive touchdown that Taron Johnson picked six, as opposed to Pittsburgh coming away with the block punt for a touchdown. Now you flash, you, you fast forward to the start of the 2021 season where it feels like everybody in the world's picking the Bills to win the Super Bowl. Everyone in the world's picking Josh Allen to be the MVP. The expectations are high. You're at Ralph Wilson Stadium or Highmark Stadium for the first time with fans in there in a long, long time. And everyone's ready for this Bills offense to just go out there and be electric and dynamic. And everyone forgot that the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense is really friggin' good. And so you feel differently about it, and I think the timing and dynamics of these two games play into that. Now, when you ask me what I think the biggest catalyst was for the Bills having a lackluster offensive output, I think you have to continue to point to Pittsburgh. I mean, they went out there, and their defensive line was hungry, and they were getting pressure with three and four guys, and the Bills couldn't stop them. And I mean, left to right, the whole offensive line, they all had their share of issues. I mean, particularly on the left side with Deion Dawkins and John Feliciano. And so it was disappointing to see those guys get worked. And then as a result of that, Pittsburgh's dropping seven. They're dropping eight guys and flooding these coverage zones. And there wasn't a lot of space for Josh Allen to work the football. And early in the game, the Bills were aggressive. They took their chances. And and Josh Allen wanted to test the defense vertically, and he missed a couple of throws. And I felt like the rest of the game, he tried to make up for it. He chased hitting those big throws, and he even said it like he was too aggressive as the, same, as the game went on. And I think that was just kind of what happened to him mentally in that game where I'm sure Josh wanted to go out and light it up and pass for all the yards and score all the points and really build on the hype that existed for this team. And so I do think all the credit goes to Pittsburgh, and then when it comes to the Bills and some of where they struggled in the week one, I, I could point to coaching. I thought the play calling was goofy. I thought it was Brian Dable's worst Uh, play calling performance since Cleveland in 2019. I I think the offensive line let the offense down. I think Josh Allen at times let the bills down. And I think at times the receivers, like you just didn't have a lot of examples of these guys just going out and winning a rep, right? Like, yeah, they're heavy with coverage, but go win a rep, like just take over. You have talented receivers and outside of Emmanuel Sanders winning on that, that shot down the field. You just didn't, you didn't get that to the same level of frequency that you've come to expect from the bill's, Wide receiver core, so you can make the argument that maybe it's exactly the humble pie that the Bills needed, right, to to kind of pick things up and and let's go and refocus. Um, but yeah, I think you you point to those factors, and it contributed. You know, all of it contributed together for the Bills to have a lackluster performance in Week One.
1: So what's interesting to me is we spent this whole conversation talking about what went wrong and offensively for Buffalo in Week One, and the one thing you did not mention at all was the running game. And I guess that's to be expected when you come out and you throw the ball 51 times in yeah. week one against Pittsburgh in a close game. Right. But yeah. this, this led led the first 35, 40 minutes of the football game. Right. So that, that's just kind of in, in Buffalo's DNA, who they are as a team. So uh, that's not to say this running game hasn't seen some investments made into it. When you consider Devin Singletary and Zach Moss in back-to-back years uh, Zach Moss inactive for week one. I'm uh, not sure how surprised you were by that decision from the coaching staff, but did that surprise you? And how do you anticipate Buffalo is going to come back uh, and involve the running game in week two against Miami? Is this kind of you know what we, we talked about on the other shoe with, with the Dolphins and, and tailoring an offensive game plan against Buffalo's defense? Do you anticipate the running game to have a bigger – piece of the pie against Miami in week two? And if you do, uh, what are the personnel combos with concepts that we need to be most cognizant of as Dolphins fans getting ready to watch this football game?
0: So first off, with Zach Moss being a healthy scratch for week one, um, there was a big part of me that thought that was a possibility. And the reason is because we've watched Sean McDermott coach his football team since 2017. And what has he always done with running backs? Well, he always dresses Taiwan Jones for special teams and then two regular running backs. And when you factor in the three options that the Bills have in terms of regular running backs, Stevin Singletary, Zach Moss and Matt Breida. Dolphins fans know Matt Breida, probably pretty disappointed in Matt Breida for not being a bigger factor last year. And obviously the fumble right against Buffalo, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was, was not a great moment for him. But he's now a member of the Buffalo Bills. Zach Moss and Devin Singletary are pretty comparable players in terms of what they bring to the table, right? They're both more known for their downhill ability, some shiftiness, really not very explosive type backs. And so the Bills opted to go with Breida to give them a speed option in the backfield. And he plays two phases of special teams for the Bills, or at least he did in week one. And meanwhile, Devin Singletary, I mean, he started all 16 games last year for the Bills at running back. He's got more time in the system, and he had a really good offseason. I mean, he worked really hard. Uh, there's a lot of things written about his offseason. He had a good training camp. He looked good in preseason. I mean, he won the job. And and I think because of a lack of contrasting skill sets, I don't know that they're going to dress Singletary and Moss on any given week simultaneously if they want that speed factor that exists with Breeden, Now, if they evaluate Breeden and say, yeah, he's not that good on special teams and we don't really – have ways to incorporate his speed, then yeah, they're going to go with the two better running backs. And maybe there's some regret that you didn't dress Zach Moss last week, and you didn't get your backs involved in pass protection. And one of the strengths of Zach Moss's game is being able to help in pass protection. So there could be some dynamics that play into this, where the bills learned some things last week and they'll adjust. Maybe you'll see a healthy, you know, Zach Moss on the field and he'll be active on Sunday. But I would say at this point, I'm not sure. Now, as far as the run game against Miami, I'm not really expecting it to be a big part of what the Bills do. I think if there's anything we've learned from watching this football team evolve is that run game's not really important to them. I think it's something that they want to do effectively when they feel like they need to run the football and there's been a lot of things that went into them trying to improve that this offseason, mostly scheme where last year they kind of shifted from a gap blocking scheme to a zone style blocking scheme. And so I think you're going to see a hybrid mix of those types of runs, but that's a big shift from 2019 to 2020. And so I think that they've schematically tried to work on some things. They've added a speed back in Breida, but at the end of the day, I just don't know that the bills run game. I don't think we're going to go into any game and feel like the bills are going to prioritize running the football. I mean, how many times have we seen this team come out and throw the football 15 times to start a game? I mean, it's kind of what they do. So you can make your arguments about balance. It's not important to the Bills, it, it, and it's not going to be. And, and Brian Table and, and Sean McDermott have been asked about it repeatedly, and they continue to say, like, balance is only good if you win. And they're comfortable with their script, which is three, four, five wide receiver sets, and Josh Allen throwing the football all over the yard. That's what they want to be. My
1: last question for you, Gio, as so we talk about often on draft dudes, the idea – the teams within the division should take a team-building approach that is directly correlated to competing and contending and beating the other teams within the division. And I think you know I mentioned that when discussing the defensive game plan for the Dolphins and how many defensive backs they've invested in. You think about Xavier Howard and Byron Jones and uh, Jason McCourty being brought in this offseason, along with Justin Coleman, with the incumbents that they have with Xavier Howard and. Javon Holland being out of the mix. So just really trying to have the depth there uh, to uh, avoid what happened last year, which is the bills found the matchup that they really liked. And they, they picked on a guy and got a bunch of passing production going after a handful of guys. Uh, So they wanted more depth in the secondary. So what about the bills formula? Do you think embodies that most? And how do you envision Buffalo responding to the efforts of teams like Miami and New England and less so the Jets because they're in a true rebuild right now uh, to try to, quote unquote, catch the Bills in this division.
0: You know, it's interesting. I think you can point to Miami and some of the things that they've done to build their football team and feel very certain that it had the Bills in mind. I mean, their initial 53-man roster didn't have like 13 defensive backs, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I don't know where it's at right now, but I mean it's a ton. The no, Bills I'm have
1: pretty sure it's 13 still.
0: The yeah. Bills have uh nine, nine defensive. five corners and four safeties. Brian Flores would never, right? Like that's not he's that's not enough for him. So you you think about that being the case and kind of swapping out McCourty for uh Bobby McCain and drafting Javon Holland and his versatility and having good man coverage corners and you know, continuing to invest in signing, you know, they still, they went out and signed uh, Justin Coleman and they, they continue to invest in these defensive backs. And you can see that. Yeah. They want to have, they want to have options. They want to have versatility. They want to have guys that can kind of match up with all the ways that the bills are going to try to challenge you. And then obviously the big play guys, I would say offensively and defensively, right. Jalen Waddle, I think an all around big play mm-hmm. threat, but Jalen Phillips, a guy that I think has the ability to become one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And so, Obviously, organic pass rush is the best way to rush the passer, and so you can you can look at Miami, and I know you didn't ask me about Miami, but you can kind of see what they've done and how that correlates to what the Bills do. I feel like Buffalo is at the point right now where they feel like we've got this dude seventeen, and we're going to dare you to see if you can keep up with them. Right? Like you can debate whatever you want about Josh Allen. The Bills just made this guy extremely rich. I mean, the most guaranteed money ever given out to an NFL football player, $40-plus million a season, $256 million total value of his contract. So they feel like they've got this guy, and they're going to keep making sure he's got receivers to throw to. They're going to try to have you know a, a defense that is always going to keep him in games. But it's about – what are you going to do? What, can you assemble enough dynamic ability offensively to score with the Bills? And I think you've seen that manifested at certain points. Um, one of them being the AFC championship game against the Kansas City Chiefs, where at the end of the day, I feel like the Bills said, we think we've got the best player in the NFL in Josh Allen. And we think he can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. I think that was a miscalculation. And there were some things about that game plan that I didn't like, but every step of the way, I think the bills really value what they have in Josh Allen. And they're willing to dare anyone to see if you can build a team that can keep up with what he can do in terms of scoring points while still maintaining a a good defense. I think the bills have proven under McDermott, they're going to be good defensively. They've continued to invest it on the defense. I mean, all the first round picks that Brandon Bean has made, have been defensive players except for Josh Allen because he had to get a quarterback, right? Like, they continue to invest there. So I think that's the plan, man. Um, I don't know that I can continue to point to specific moves that I say, yep, that's that's because of this thing that this other team has. I think they just want to continue to build what they have and see if other teams can keep pace. My off
1: script, because you hit me with one. So I got to hit you with one quick hitter here at the very end. The first team to blank wins on Sunday.
0: That's a great question. The first team to blank, 27, 24, something like that?
1: I was going to say 28. So, yeah. yeah. I I think this. there's definitely – Dolphins fans came out of the game against New England kind of disheartened by the offensive output. They had less than 300 yards of offense. But, you know, from Miami's perspective, they coach every game in a vacuum. They anticipate mm-hmm. what the game script is going to be, and they they plan accordingly. And I think they knew New England was going to be a knockdown, drag it out style game. Buffalo, you just got done very adequately describing the ideology and, and the mentality of this football team. And I think you're going to see a more open game on both sides of things. I think Miami will, will probably try to limit the explosives, uh, but inevitably Buffalo has so many different ways to come at you. Miami's added a lot more pieces. So that was kind of where my mind went. And it's like, okay, let, let's play the game here and let's do the math. First team to blank wins. My first gut was four touchdowns.
0: I think that's pretty fair, man. Um, we'll see. Maybe both teams get there. I think getting there first does matter because you want that other team chasing you, right? You want right. to set the pace and, and see if they can keep up. So, um, and, know, that, and that's That held
1: true in the week two game last year, too. Uh, mm-hmm. The final score there was 31-28, and there were 29 points scored in the fourth quarter. Yeah, uh, It was 20-17 to 17 Miami uh, at one point in the fourth – 10 minutes left in the game. Miami had them on the ropes, but then Buffalo reels off two consecutive
0: touchdowns, and they hit 31, and they won the football game. So, Yeah, you, you know, I think one thing that I've thought a lot about when I consider how teams are going to play against the Bills is – they're probably going to want to try to shorten the game and, and extend their possessions and, and, um, you know, keep Josh Allen on the sideline and, and all those types of things. And so on one hand, you, you kind of expect this philosophy that teams are going to come in and try to run the football and, and do all those types of things. But, you know, like who's, is who's going to go out there and say, all right, let's go. Let's track meat, get on the starter blocks, and let's go. But what's fun about both of these teams, I think they're both good defensively. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's we'll see, man. Uh, the implications are huge. I know that Dolphins fans are, are very aware of their opportunity to get to 2-0 and while simultaneously putting the Bills in an 0-2 hole. So uh, tensions are high for this one. It's early in the season, but it's a big one.
1: I will refrain from saying this is the biggest Dolphins game since blank. Uh, because it seems like every time I do that, they lay an egg, and I said that in week seventeen. Oh no! <laughs> so we're oh, not no. gonna go. We're not gonna oh, go. No, there. No, 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 Yes, no. I know the, the TikTok trend. Yes, very good. Um, you're welcome for getting you on TikTok. No, by the brother, way,
0: brother, I lose too much time, and this is not good because I, I, I talk a lot about <laughs> time management on on Locked On <laughs> Bills sometimes, but it. Now that my listeners are gonna know, man, I I spent a little bit more time than I care to admit on the old TikTok, but it's EM nice, Joe, uh,
1: all your favorite TikToks, no, please don't, don't. sending down that rabbit hole. That's
0: what you wanted. You knew that you knew that I had all the the uh help that I needed at home with like you know with the baby and stuff like that, and like the wife's working from home a lot. I got a lot of flexibility, and Kyle's right. like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna I'm talk gonna, to you about TikTok. I'm gonna, and I'm gonna ruin your productivity. <laughs> going so, bomb your productivity. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Well, you
1: absolutely hate to see it here. Uh, a little friendly rivalry, Locked On Bills, Locked On Dolphins. Joe Marino, Kyle Krabs. Thanks, as, o- as always, for checking out your respective team show. This is the Locked On Network, your team every day. We don't just say it. We live it here. Thanks, as always, for listening. Best of luck on Sunday. But not really. I'm sure you would agree.
0: His fingers uh, are crossed. Yeah, it's all love. It's, it's all yeah. love.
1: Man. All love. That's absolutely right. Uh, don't think our fan bases would probably agree that sentiment, but uh, it's it's good to share the mic with you here on this crossover Thursday of the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening.